Just a few minutes, I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2. If you have an actual Bible and you want to turn there, if you don't have it, it'll, we'll have the verses on the screen as we go today. I want to continue the off and on series I've been doing called What's Going On? What's Going On? And even though I've got a lot of requests, I'm not going to sing it this morning, okay? You'll have to, like I said, never mind, let's not go back to all that. At any point, uh, um, I want to continue today talking about what's going on in the world. We've talked about what's going on with people, what's going on with society in general, what's going on with families, marriages, children, so forth. Today, I want to begin to talk about what's going on with the church and the church world. Been a lot of changes in the church world the last couple of years, and I'm going to talk about some of that. It'll probably take me two messages to cover all of this, but at least I want to get started with it today. When you ask the question, what's going on in the church? I'll tell you what's going on in the church. The same thing that's been going on since the beginning of the church. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Times change, customs change, peoples change, but the challenges the church deals with have always been there, and they will always be there until Christ comes. And today I'm going to show you this from the book of, of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in the Bible. I'm going to show you some things there. I'm not going to read all the verses and spend a lot of detail with, or a lot of time in detail with it, but I want to touch on it today. And before I get into my message, I've got to give you two disclaimers. I've been doing this in this series. Number one, first disclaimer. I am the voice that God has chosen to lead this church. I don't have any authority in any other church in town. I don't have the authority to tell people what to teach, but I teach what I believe God once taught here at the Bridge Church. That's number one. Second disclaimer, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it's God speaking to us in every generation, including today. We believe, which I can show you from Scripture, I've been teaching this, we believe God's Word is truth. So with that in mind, we're going to teach God's Word as truth. And you may not like some of the things that the Bible says that are pretty clear. If you don't, please don't be offended at me or any of the other pastors. We are not haters. We are good people. We love people. But we're trying to follow Jesus and live a life that pleases God. It's just that simple. And I've said it before, and this is not a smart aleck remark. You can find anything you want to find in a church somewhere in town. You'll find it there. So if we preach God's word and you don't like it, don't get angry and call us haters. Just say, I want to go find a church that doesn't teach that. Okay? It's, it's just really simple. It's not to be smart. Okay, I'm not a smart aleck here, so just understand what I'm saying. Okay, now that I've said that, and some of you have received it really maturely, and some of you haven't, uh, let's go on. In John 17, we, we taught this in the series. Jesus said, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Every generation of the church wrestles with this truth and with this principle. From generation to generation, we see this over and over again. How do we be in the world but not be of the world? The dilemma is how do we navigate 
life and the challenges of life every day in a non-believing or an unbelieving world. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. Let's pause here a moment. Because a, a lot of people in America still haven't caught the vision of this. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul said, we are ambassadors here in this earth representing the other world. We are foreign ambassadors here in this world. Now, people say, well, I, don't, I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry, it's still the Bible. It's in there. We are ambassadors in this world. Peter said it this way. We are pilgrims, which literally means we are resident foreigners. We're living in a foreign land until Jesus and his kingdom come. So if we're not of the world, shouldn't we navigate life differently than those who are of the world? I think there should be some differences there. We, the church, and when I say church, I mean people, because the church is people. It's not buildings, it's people. We, the church, the people of the church, must teach the principles of God's kingdom, and we must learn to live and to think as citizens of God's kingdom. All right? Now, before I dive into what I really want to show you today, I've got to talk about this principle. We teach this from time to time. I'm going to hit it from a little different angle today. The word church in the original writings literally means the called out. I'm not going to take a lot of time to walk through the whole teaching, but it means to be called out. Literally what it means is to be called out of one kingdom, the kingdom of the world that's passing away, but then to be called into a different kingdom, into God's kingdom. So we're called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be called out. You're called out of something and you're called into something for God's higher eternal purposes. But then we also need to understand that we're called out of one lifestyle and we're called into a different lifestyle. One that glorifies God and shows the world the character and the nature of God. Now, Titus chapter 2. I'm going to look at ver two verses here, beginning at verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. We'll have it on the screen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I'll leave that verse up for just a moment. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Paul is writing to Titus here, and he's laying out a principle for him that he needs to understand as he leads his church. He says, the grace of God is extended to all of us. And we all know about the grace of God. It's undeserved favor. We don't deserve it all, but we get it because of Jesus. And once we are in Christ, we deserve all the blessings and the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared to all men. See, the grace of God makes me feel better about the past because it's under the blood of Jesus. The grace of God makes me feel better about myself because I know God is for me, he is with me, he's in me, and he will help me navigate life. Okay? So we teach grace. Grace is a good thing. Paul also said in another passage of Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith which means God extends grace and forgiveness to us, and we reach up and grab it 
receive it by faith. So we're saved by grace through faith. But notice this in the next verse. He talks about grace. Then in verse 12, he says this, teaching us. The grace of God is trying to teach us something. The goodness of God is trying to teach us some things. See, some people just roll around in grace and say, oh, I just love this grace. I love this grace. God doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care how I live. Oh, he's forgiven me, and he's just going to keep forgiving me, and I'm just going to keep being stupid, and he's going to keep forgiving me, and I'm going to keep being... That's not what he's telling, he's telling us here. He said the grace of God teaches us some things. He says he's teaching us that denying ungodliness denying worldly lusts we should live soberly i think everybody knows what it means the opposite of soberly we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age so he takes us out of one kingdom puts us in another kingdom and says there's your old lifestyle now here's a new lifestyle i want to teach you the lifestyle of grace depending upon God to strengthen you in every challenge of life. Now, what we're going to do for the next few minutes, and, and by the way, this is still my introduction. I haven't even gotten into the message yet. This is good, okay? It's that good today. I want to give you, in the next few minutes, just a real brief overview and some perspective out of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, on the churches of Asia that Jesus spoke to and John wrote to. And I'll explain why, so stay with me. It's out of Revelation 2 and 3. For those of you who are Bible scholars, go home and read Revelation 2 and 3. There's seven messages in there to seven different churches, and they're important. John was on this Isle of Patmos. He had been exiled because of his faith in God and his preaching of the message, so he was kind of imprisoned, if you will, and put on this island. On the Lord's day, he said, suddenly I had this revelation. Jesus showed up and I saw him. He wasn't the suffering savior. He was the king of all the kings and the Lord of all the lords. And he began to reveal himself to me and he shared some things with me. But then he said this. He said, John, I want you to write to seven churches in Asia. Now, let's pause here for a moment. We're talking about churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, different Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He says, write to these seven churches because I have a message for each one of those churches. So we don't know exactly why God singled out these seven churches. Some believe it was because John was in relationship with them and they would hear what John had to say. But the important thing is, Jesus had a message for each of those churches. So he told John, I want you to write to those seven churches. Some believe just using the word seven in numerology, God was saying, here's seven messages for seven churches, and they apply to all the churches because it addresses everything that will come down the road. In other words, the messages are timely for those churches but they're timeless for the church as a whole. They're always going to be relevant. Now, I don't know about you, but if you read through these seven messages, if you read through it fast, it's just a lot of stuff. It's a little heavy because it's Jesus telling John what to say. 
But let me, let me just give you an oversight real quick before I dive into some things I want you to see. This is the first generation of these churches. First generation of these churches. John is one of the original apostles. So it's the first generation, if you will, maybe beginning to give birth to the second generation of the church. But it's the first churches in the experience of churches as they're planted in different parts of the world. It's interesting, he didn't write anything and say anything to the church at Jerusalem or churches in Israel, probably because he wanted it to be known this is not just for Jewish believers, it's for all of those who believe in Jesus. So it's timely, but it's timeless. But I want you to think about this. He writes to seven churches, and, and I know it's not a large sample size, Okay, it's just seven. It's not like 700. It's just seven. It's not even 70. It's just seven. But let me give you some statistics here. In the first generation of these seven churches, Jesus said there are some things that are beginning to infect the church that are going to be destructive to their future health. Now, think about that. I, I think it's okay to, to give this illustration. It's not... I'm not embarrassing anybody, it's not personal. Uh, we have a member in our church who this week was going in for a surgery because they got an infection in their body and, and they've been fighting this infection for years. But it's reached the place where they can't stop the growth of this infection and so they had to do surgery because they're concerned about it getting into the bone and getting into the system where, listen to me, where an infection would become a disease. And see, what happens here is Jesus is speaking to these churches, and he says, John, I want you to tell them there's some things happening on, or going on that are infecting the churches, and it's going to infect people's spiritual health, and if they don't deal with it, it could destroy their spiritual health. So this, this is heavy stuff. But here's what's interesting. Of seven churches, two of those churches... Two of them, that would be 28.5%. 28.5% of those churches, God had nothing good to say about them. That hurts my heart. What would God say about us today? 28%, God had nothing good to say. If you read on, five of the seven churches, that's 71%. God told them to repent or they would face his judgment. A strong, that's strong medicine. But then also, going back to the original number, two of seven, 28%, just 28%, God gave them encouragement for the future. They say, well, why are we going through this today? Because there are some things that we as believers need to be very clear about that God's concerned about that we need to be concerned about too. Because it can affect our relationship and our spiritual health, our relationship with God. If infections are untreated, they can lead to disease. And as you study these churches, some things you're going to find. First of all, I'm going to do it real quickly today. There are five spiritual infections that we see here that lead to spiritual disease. I'm going to walk you through it real fast. Number one, indifference. Indifference towards the goodness and the grace of God. What is indifference? Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 God did that for me. Yeah, yeah. What's God doing in your life now? Eh. Indifference. It says that at Ephesus, they left their first love and they lost their passion for God himself. Can you imagine losing your love and your passion for God? Can you imagine coming to a place where it's just religion? As Paul wrote in one passage, we have a form of godliness, but we don't have anything to do with the power. We don't even look for the power of God to work. That's what was going on at Ephesus. And what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, said, man, you're calling out false apostles and you're trying this person and trying that person and you've got religion and you've got all of this legalism and all these rules and you're the only ones who are right and everybody else is wrong. But in the middle of it all, you've lost your relationship with me. How sad. To lose passion for the goodness and the grace of God and just become indifferent. A second thing he, that Jesus addressed was compromise. Well, this is one of those happy sermons today, isn't it? <laughs> Indifference. Second is compromise. Compromise. That's where we accept some things that we probably shouldn't accept, be, and it lowers our standards. You see, at Pergamos, this is exactly what happened. They did not confront sin in church life. And they didn't promote it. They didn't say it's okay. They just didn't deal with it, and they just passed it over and forgot about it. Jesus said, you need to tell them there's infection in the church, and it has to be dealt with. They did not confront those who held false religions. One of the biggest lies you will hear in the world today is that there are many paths to God. Just choose whichever you want you want. Their church is teaching that. It's not God's word, but it's being taught. Embracing other religions, embracing things offered to other idols, that's what was going on. They brought false religion and ideas into the church that did not align with God's word. They did not confront those who were holding to sexually immoral lifestyles. They didn't confront it. They said, oh, well. Oh, well, you know, I'm not doing it, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They were just compromised. And then it got to the place where their prophets were prophesying for monetary gain. Whatever whatever they needed to say to get a good offering, they would do it. We've seen some of that in the church world. Well, it's quiet in here today. I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Pergamos and these other churches, okay? But compromise... Jesus said it brings infection into our lives. Third thing, when you go beyond compromise and you begin to embrace sin. That's what happened at Thyatira. At Thyatira, they even had a female church leader who was teaching people to offer things to other idols, partake of things offered to idols, and even teaching them sexual immorality in the church. It was a part of their practices in the church. God said, that's infection. It's gone from compromise now to outright embracing of sin. Let me tell you something. When we begin to embrace sin and keep it in our lives and say, it's okay, God doesn't care, we begin to separate ourselves from the goodness and grace of God. 
Now, I know some will say, well, I don't like that theological statement, separating. You know what? It's the truth. I'm not in the place of God. You're not in the place of God. But it's still truth. See, it's one thing to sin. It's another thing to embrace, teach, and celebrate a lifestyle of sin. It's one thing to make a mistake and turn from it and repent. It's another thing to embrace a lifestyle that doesn't matter anymore. It's infection that leads to spiritual disease. If we do not resist sin, we will become infected by sin. Number four, I told you I was going to go fast. Number four, neglect. When we neglect our spiritual life, our spiritual feeding, if you will, the church at Sardis, do you know what God said about it? He said, you have a name that says you're alive, but he says, this church is dead. You ever been in a dead church? I've been in a couple of them. In my early days of ministry, I traveled from church to church, preaching in different churches. I have been in some dead churches. Pretty obvious, God's not here. And everybody's just waiting for somebody to do the funeral. Dead church, dead church. They stopped hearing and receiving and valuing God's word. Can I tell you something? Every word of God, every word of scripture is God-breathed. It's alive. It's, it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We need God's word in our lives. And if we ever come to the place where we think, oh, I don't want it, and I don't need it, we're in a bad spot because we will begin to neglect our spiritual growth. Scripture says it is the milk of the word and it is the meat of the word that causes us to grow. When we get to the place where we don't care if we grow, we don't want to grow, and we neglect that, our health is at risk. It's good preaching today. I'm going to, I'll tell myself it's good. Not only that, they also stop pursuing God's purpose for the church. You know, if the church just becomes a social club and it's not doing the works of Jesus, we've missed the point. We can't neglect the purposes of God. And then the last thing, the fifth thing I want you to see is just plain old complacency. Complacency says, well, I've got enough. I've got enough. I'm fine. At Laodicea, Jesus said those people have become lukewarm. They got a little bit of heat back there, and they got a little bit of cold now, and you put it together, and it's just lukewarm. They're not hot. They're not cold. Jesus said they're just lukewarm. And you know what Jesus said about this? I know this will offend somebody, uh, but this is the age of offense, so, you know, I'm used to it. (laughs) Jesus said, I'm going to vomit this church out of my mouth if they don't change. He said, it makes me sick to my stomach. They're not hot, they're not cold, they're just kind of in the middle, and they don't need anything, they don't want anything. Jesus said they've been blessed with goods, they've got what they need, they've become self-sufficient, and basically they say, I'm good, I don't need God's help anymore. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone, God, I'm fine. Complacency. Jesus said, when you arrive at that place, you're actually spiritually poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Now, as I've said, this is not about any of us in this room or anybody watching online. These are about these churches. 
The problem is the church has always dealt with these five things over and over and over again throughout history. We see revivals and then we see things cool down. We see revivals and then we see things cool down. Why? Because it's human nature. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Now, here's the interesting thing. For each of these five infections... God gave us a prescription. Now, I could be wrong, but I just have a feeling if anybody in this room, or at least 95% of you, we might have some faith people that are above this, but if 95% of the people in this room, if you had an infection in your body and it was bringing real problems and it was serious, I think 95% of you would go to the doctor and get your prescription and take your medicine. See, some of you are afraid to agree with me because you think, well, it's a trick question. No, it's not, it's, not a, it's not even a question. I'm just telling you. If you were really sick and really serious, you would go to the doctor, and if he wrote you a prescription, you would run down to Rite Aid and, or Walmart, wherever you get your prescriptions, and you'd get it done right now, and you'd take that first pill right now. Jesus gave us a prescription for this. He said, if you're battling these things, you need to repent. You need to turn away from what's wrong and turn back towards what's right. That's Jesus. We teach repentance all the time. Repentance isn't about words and, and, and tears. Repentance is about changing your direction. He said, I, I, I called you out of darkness into light, but now you've got back in the middle and you're playing with stuff. You need to turn away from that and turn back to my kingdom with what's right. That's what grace teaches us, to learn to walk with God. So we need to turn back toward that. And God says, if you'll turn, I'll forgive you, I'll restore you, and I'll bless you. But if not, judgment's coming we're going to pay the consequences and i want to stop for just a moment i want you to ask yourself the question i've said this before when any of us preach a message when we're preparing our message and we're laying it out when we're preaching a message like this we have to preach it to ourselves before we can preach it to you the words reading us before we ever get to you okay indifference compromise Embracing sin, neglecting spiritual food, complacency. Are you dealing with any of that today? I want to stop for just a moment because I've got a couple more things I want to share. But I want to stop. I want to pray right now. Because I think this is a holy moment that God's ordaining in this house today. I want you to open your heart with me and I want you to pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name. We come to you. God, we lay our lives before you. We, we want to be people that know you and people that please you. We want to be people who walk with you and show your nature and character to the world. Father, if the Spirit of God right now is, is touching our hearts, if, if you are convicting us and showing us something in our own lives that maybe needs some adjustment, adjustment maybe maybe I've overlooked something, maybe I've just gotten busy and stopped being concerned with the things that concern you. 
Father, I pray right now that your spirit would just work in me. Show me my errors. Show me where I've gotten off track. Father, I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. I don't want to live with indifference. I don't want to live with compromise. I don't want to live with sin in my life. I don't want to neglect my time with you. And I don't want to live complacent where I think I don't need you because I need you every day of my life. So God, I open my heart to you. And then God, show me the path forward. Don't just touch my heart, but show me what I need to do to make corrections, to turn my life and my lifestyle. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you need to be a hearer of the word and you need to be a doer of the word. When you leave here today, don't walk away from what God's spoken to you. Follow up, get away from that, and get into God's kingdom. Amen? Now, let me finish my message. The last part of this message, I just quickly want to touch on two churches that God spoke blessing to. He spoke words of encouragement for their future. Didn't condemn them, didn't point out sin, didn't tell them you need to turn from this and turn from that. But I want to show you two things here. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. This won't be on the screen, but I want to read it to you. Jesus said to the church at, at Smyrna, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. that You may be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Wasn't talking about 10 days and 10 nights. He's talking about 10 in the sense until it's completed, until it's run its course. Now, why am I saying this today? I've given you something from the book of Revelation, and I'm going to bring it down to right now where we are living. I told you this message will probably be two parts, so I'm finishing the first part today. Every pastor, every church leader, every church right now is seeing a great shuffling and reshuffling of people. And we're having to decide how are we going to navigate all the things going on in our society today. Let me just give you a preface to this. We're going to follow this is what we're going to do. We're going to stay right here. We're going to stay right here. We're not going to be hateful. We're not going to be mean. This is for those who are following Jesus. Those who, don't following, who aren't following Jesus, you can't expect them to live by God's word. But here's what's going to happen. To people like those of the bridge who say, this is my home, this is where I belong. To people like us who stand on God's word, you better get ready for it. Persecutions come into the church in America. We've tried to hold it off and tried to hold it off. We've done everything we can politically. We've tried this and we've tried that. We've moved here, we moved there. Persecution's coming. It's already hidden. Persecution's coming. I'm not going to be moved by persecution. I don't know about you. I'm not going to be moved by persecution. Don't care who it is. Don't care what it is. But I want to read this to you. Matthew 5 have the verses on the screen. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We've been very fortunate, our church world, we've been very fortunate to live in a land that for over 200 years has embraced, embraced godly principles and tried to use them to guide our nation. That's shifting, that's changing in a lot of our country. Even our governments, some cities, some counties, some states, and I'll get into government another Sunday, okay? So let's not get off track, stay with me. We're gonna to begin to see persecution happen where people stand up and say, I don't like that. Let's find a way to shut them up. Jesus said when that happens, rejoice and be glad because they persecuted the messengers of truth that came before you. If persecution comes, we stand by truth. We don't get angry. We don't get mad. We don't fight in the flesh. We stand on truth because that's what Jesus did. Wish I had 10 minutes to do this, but I don't. I got to hurry. That's what Jesus did. What time is it? Oh, I do have to hurry. John 15, here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. Or they will keep yours also. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. I'm going to stand on truth. I'm going to stay there. Bridge Church is going to stay there. I'm not responsible for what anybody else chooses to do. At the Bridge Church, we're going to do our best to stay with God's word and what we understand it to say. Persecution comes, we're going to stay right here. It's okay. Last thing. To the church at Philadelphia, and again, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, different church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, here's what Jesus said. I know your works. Now, he said that to all those churches. I know what's going on. I know what you're doing. I know your lives and your lifestyles. I know your works. But notice what he says. See? He says, look, see it. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You still have a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name to those who closely follow after Jesus there will always be blessing and there will always be an open door of ministry it's always going to be there 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 Jesus said nobody can shut this door if I open the door nobody can close it it's my door that I've opened if I move away from what God's doing, it's on me. If I'm following him, it's on him. We are going to follow Jesus. That's the church we want to be. Telling the truth, taking the heat, and leading people to Jesus. Amen.
I need to close. Bow your heads if you would. Father, this is not an exciting message till we get to the end. But you have set before us an open door. Every week, you're bringing people into this church who are looking for you, looking for your help and your strength. Father, thank you for the privilege of introducing people to Jesus. Father, right now, before we leave, we want to give people who maybe have never really submitted their life, we want to give them an opportunity to respond to what your spirit is doing and knocking on their hearts. So I ask you now, Father, speak to us and lead us in Jesus' name. Heads are still bowed for one more minute. I want to pray a prayer. We've already prayed a prayer of repentance, if you will. But maybe, maybe you've never submitted and committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, come be the Lord of my life. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I want to help you pray that prayer because those words will unlock your heart and open you up to God working in your life. So I'm going to ask everybody in this place, pray this prayer with me. Not that you need it, but it'll help those around you who've never prayed this prayer. Let's pray this. Say, God, help me. I want to know you. I want to follow you. So I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. Teach me your ways so I can follow you. Change me from the inside out. One day at a time, let your grace teach me. I want to know your ways. From this moment forward, you are my father. I'm your child. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we welcome new believers into God's family today? Just before we go, two last things. Number one, when service is over, we'll have prayer teams at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. Take advantage of that. God's answering prayer. Second thing, if you just prayed that prayer and committed your heart to the Lord, whether you're in the building or watching online, we want to help you get started building a relationship with God. We got a little tool, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for each of the next seven days to help you understand how much God loves you and how much he wants to be involved in your life. We want to give it to you. If you're watching online, instructions are on the screen as to how you can receive that. If you're in the house, one of two things you can do. Walk up to one of these prayer teams after service, ask for the booklet. They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you've got questions or you want prayer for something else, they'll help you. But please take that step. Second way, if you're in a really big rush, out in the middle of the lobby as you exit, in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there. You can stop by there and say, can I get the booklet he talked about inside? The next seven days, we'll give it to you right there. Again, no strings attached. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. Hey, had you enjoyed being in God's house today? I've enjoyed being here. Hey, I want you to know we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for your faithfulness in attending and in giving. We are going to make a difference in the world. God's given us an open door. We're going to use it for his glory. God bless you. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next Sunday.